Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where Ars Technica writers and editors discuss the latest in the worlds of science, computing, technology, and everything else in between. During each episode, we dig deep into some of the issues we're writing about at ArsTechnica.com. We also talk about some of the stuff we're doing when we're not circling around the Ars orbiting headquarters. I am your host, social editor Cesar Torres. And I'm your co-host, Casey Johnston. And this week, we've got in the virtual studio with us, Senior Product Specialist, Andrew Cunningham. Hello. Hey. And we've got Gaming Editor, Kyle Orland. Hi there. So here we are, a day after we recorded our initial podcast, uh, only to find out that Microsoft has decided to roll back its decision on controlling DRM for its games. They posted a blog post Wednesday night of this week, uh, it was June 20th, saying that they don't plan on placing the restrictions they had originally planned on the use of used games. Uh, We decided to re-record another segment on this issue given that we everything we discussed on this podcast was in the context of Microsoft is at a significant disadvantage in the eyes of gaming enthusiasts because they've taken the stance against used games but now the tables have turned so Kyle you took the original stance on this so how have things changed yeah it, it's kind of incredible no one really saw this coming despite the massive public uh, outcry about it that was really expanding from an internet core to the mainstream very quickly. Uh, no one thought Microsoft would just turn around a complete 180 this quickly. Uh, we, we finished recording the podcast, and then literally less than an hour later, the news first started breaking that Microsoft was going to be making this announcement. And uh, I knew you know that, that was just going to change everything. But um, it's really interesting, though, because for the last two weeks, uh, Microsoft's kind of made its bed. Uh, a lot of people got that first impression of the system as a system that uh, is going to restrict them as uh, Microsoft as a company that uh, is one that is uh, going to put these things on top of uh, their gaming, uh, changing the status quo. Even even now, I'm seeing some comments saying, uh, oh, you know, they've changed for now, but then after the system is released, one month later, they're going to come back and say, ha ha, the DRM is back, and We've we've baited and switched you, and you know that's not going to happen. But it just shows the lack of trust that Microsoft has has gotten itself into, even though it has changed itself now. So, uh, going to be very interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah, that's. I think that the the uh, internet community seems to have taken a lot of credit for this move, but I'm sort of uncertain how much credit is really due there. I think yeah. the, the the outcry was big, but this seems like a big. It seems like the initial position was was a business choice because it gives a lot of control to. It, it's a lot of reassurance for developers. So this is like a big strike against them in order just to please a lot of people who are just making noise on the internet. I'm right. Jimmy Fallon, I think. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Fallon the night before said mentioned uh, kind of offhandedly that Sony was the only system that was going to have used games, which is technically incorrect, but still got a lot of applause from mm. the audience. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you're, if the late night hosts are getting to you, that's a really bad sign. That, yeah. Uh, you've <laughs> lost the PR battle. Yeah, they aren't but, exactly on like the cutting edge of, yeah. <laughs> of like obscure jokes and things. But the, like the interesting thing was that um, my fiance, who is not a gamer and does not really follow this stuff, like, and, and did not even really know that Microsoft was the one that made the Xbox. <laughs> um, had, you know, she, she reads Reddit mostly for the cute animal pictures, I think. And, um, and she like had heard of this because, you know, stories about the Xbox and it's like online check-ins and it's DRM had been like, had made it to Reddit's front page, like so often that, yeah, like, I definitely think that the, the, if the, it had only been the nerds or like the hardcore gamers, I don't want to disparage a chunk of our audience. Um, if it had only been them, them complaining about it, I don't know how much would have changed. Like I think Microsoft would have ridden it out and waited for the sales to tell the story. But, um, you know, with, with regular people getting up in arms about it. Yeah. I think that that must've been key to like changing 
changing their minds about this. It's true, and and Microsoft is really was really telling the story, at least in their minds, they thought they were telling the story that uh, all this kind of stuff was going to bring benefits to the consumer. That you know, by having uh, online check-ins, by having disks that install to the hard drive. Uh, for one, you will never have to get up and, and swap a disc again. Uh, for another, you don't have to take a disc to a friend's house. You can just download another copy at his house. Uh, there was this nebulous family sharing plan that might have actually let you do digital sharing of games that might have been more convenient than disc sharing. Um, now that they've gone back, they've thrown out all these benefits uh, and any potential benefits that might have been coming down the line. But, um, you know, they did such a horrible job communicating those benefits and uh, they did pretty much no job of really envisioning what in the future they might do with this system that no one really sees it as, as a big loss. Everyone's just seeing it as a victory uh, for the status quo, really. Um, so while, you know, it's not going backwards in some ways, it's also not going to go forwards in uh, some nebulous, uh, badly communicated ways. Yeah, it seems like the... There's there is some uh, some talk out there. You you yourself published a piece Thursday morning about this is uh I I'm, I guess those are probably the points you just made. But mm-hmm. I've seen I think a couple things on Gizmodo and stuff also that this <laughs> this is like a a failure and like a, a a you know everyone everyone's losing in this situation, including the players. Yeah. Well, it it seems also. If you think of it as a relationship that people have with with Microsoft, it it doesn't set a good precedent for what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> should should we expect more of this? And I think that what's interesting from the side of um, the outcry from the internet is that um, maybe Microsoft is listening better. And I think what is clear to me anyway is that the expectations of gamers are, are really high. They, they want to know what the game system does for them, not just in two years, but possibly, you know, three, four, five. Uh, and it seems to me Microsoft just wasn't willing to articulate that very clearly. And I think that's what ends up happening here when this kind of snafu goes out. This yeah. is sort of interesting in the context too of the the um, them backtracking on the Windows 8 start button. Also, it's like right. they are really they they've like made it's like they've made this sea change where they're going to like listen to everybody. Not not necessarily <laughs> all of a sudden, but I feel like Microsoft has always had enough clout that it's like it's the way Microsoft is. But now they're doing things that are creating such backlash. They are like they're they're caving to. Um, a lot of not a lot of things but these are two really big things it seems yeah. like and well the, as- the start button thing i don't think is quite analogous like if you if you read in in the months like leading up to windows 8's launch the um like the blog posts that the the company did on it all of their decisions around like windows ui they're all like very very like data driven and like they all have a lot of statistics and stuff behind them um, and, and it's also, you know, worth noting that this, you know, the start button coming back is something that's happening about a year after Windows 8 was like actually released into the wild and not like after, you know, not like before the operating systems launch at all. So, well, yeah, like, point taken. Are- but the same time, it's like the Windows I, there there is sort of a case for the Windows 8 without the Windows 8 button in that if you just teach people and condition them and like you know there it, it seems like there at least peter's made this case and i don't wholeheartedly disagree with him peter our microsoft editor that you know if you if you condition people right you could they could have like a climate acclimated them to living without the start button but they just yeah. made the trend they just they tried to make it too simple like oh it's so it's so intuitive that we don't have to explain it to you and then <laughs> they didn't want to like disprove themselves by actually explaining it yeah and that, one, that was just kind i of think cute. that definitely i think that definitely applies here too um kind of my hope after this reversal is that um we don't really have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and that maybe microsoft will slowly start to reintroduce these things that it sees as the digital future so discs can still remain discs if you have a disc-based copy that goes on your hard drive and you have and um, uh you can res or it doesn't go on your hard drive rather it requires the disc and uh, you have you can resell it in that but if you download a digital copy 
some of the things they were talking about could could still apply. They could still technically do the family sharing things. Uh, they could, uh, you know, create some sort of Netflix-like system that lets you uh, download uh, as many games as you want or, or a certain number of games every month. Uh, there are a lot of things you can do in a digital world that you can't do in a disc world, and Microsoft seemed willing, at least in theory, to experiment with that kind of stuff. Hopefully, uh, they'll still be able to without having to impose uh, the restrictions on, on physical media. Then again, it might be the restrictions on physical media were, were kind of were needed to uh, sell Microsoft on the idea to uh, bring along the publishers. So they might be a little more uh, uh, ingrained, uh, tied together than people might think. And it's it's worth noting that all this stuff can happen through software updates later. Like the the right. blog post yesterday said that people who bought the Xbox One, like on day one, would need a software patch to um to like enable the on, the offline mode where the console right. didn't have to check in. And like the Xbox 360, I mean, if you just look at its software updates over the years, it changed from like a hardcore pretty much gaming only console to kind of more of a set top box that also plays games over you know over time so yeah yeah any of this stuff like as microsoft thinks of more palatable ways to sell it to the audience like any of this stuff can come back at any time just hopefully it will it will be accompanied by better messaging this time um yeah my my last thought on this is that this is probably uh the last time we're going to see this gasp of protest about physical media. Uh, my guess is that uh, when a new console generation is announced, uh, by that time it'll be 2019 or 2020, uh, the idea of distributing games on discs is just going to seem ridiculously antiquated, like buying a CD is today. Uh, broadband is going to be more ubiquitous. Uh, speed Download speeds and prices are going to be so much lower that uh, we're just going to have a system without discs. And at that point, uh, you'll be lucky if you can... Uh, resell or trade your your digital downloads at all so uh count your blessings now i guess so okay now that now that microsoft has backtracked on one of the big strikes against it that as you said quote unquote knocked it out of let, let sony knock it out of e3 where do things stand now this the xbox one is still a hundred dollars more yeah it's still a hundred dollars more and it still has the connect sensor that a lot of people are saying they don't want uh i find it highly doubtful that Microsoft will backtrack on that part, given their rhetoric. But then again, I would have said yesterday that there's no chance that we're going to backtrack on this, so everything's up in the air. Um, I think $100 is still a very big deal. I also think, like I said, there are some real trust issues with uh, Microsoft after just just trying to do this. Um, a lot of people are giving them not so much credit for listening as you know, lack of credit for, you know, trying to do this in the first place. And, oh, we're the, we're the ones who, who saved you from yourselves. And uh, it doesn't matter. I'm still buying a PlayStation 4. I can never trust Microsoft again. So, I don't know. Among the, among the wider public, they'll probably still want Halo and not have this big negative hanging over it anymore. So, I think, I think the Xbox One will still do well. Yeah, I'm not even I'm not even so much having a trust problem with Microsoft as is it's just like I'm so confused by everything they're doing. It's like who are you that you Confusion. have no clear answer to anything anybody is asking you? Confusion is natural. Don't go with it. <laughs> well All right. All right. So now you're we're gonna head right into the show we recorded previously. So just as a reminder to our listeners, what you're gonna hear is what we recorded before the announcement came out from Microsoft. So it's kind of a fun way to see that moment or hear that moment in time. And uh, you can kind of um, think about what our predictions and analysis uh, turned out to be. Right, Kyle? Yeah, remember, this is what everyone was thinking all throughout E3 and even at the beginning of this week. This is uh, what the state of things were. And those, you know, initial impressions... Uh, don't entirely go away, uh, but it's it's also a good way to contrast the before and after. It kind of shows why Microsoft made the decision it did and uh, how people's thinking is, is going to change. All right, so off we go. So last week, 
Kyle and Andrew, who are with us, set out for L.A. to check out the Electronics Entertainment Expo, also known as E3. And on the very first day, they attended, I believe, no less than four events and <laughs> completed four live blogs on that day. Um, and, then and then after that, we went to check out Xbox One games at a Microsoft How long party. were you awake in total on that day? Uh... Oh, when did we get up, Andrew? <laughs> Um, like, I th- yeah, from eight from eight until well, midnight, like straight. Yeah, didn't we come back home and do a video too? Like, oh yeah, we did a video. I, I think I was up. The video recorded like a yeah, lot. I was up till two or three. I think so. So you were you were working day. you were working for like eight nineteen straight hours. Yeah, no big deal. That's amazing. <laughs> we stopped for Starbucks at one point. There we go. To uh, refill, but other than that, yeah, it was pretty. So guys are bosses. <laughs> So day. of all the press conferences, there were some there were some for game studios, but the big ones that everyone cared about were the Sony and Microsoft ones where they both talked they they both had console unveilings in the last few months that were wildly different in style and everyone was kind of waiting to see how that panned out with their E3 presentations if they if it rounded out the the profile of each one at all. So coming out of it uh the Impression I really have is that the PlayStation 4 has the upper hand. Kyle, you wrote a analysis piece about this, that the PlayStation 4's main advantages are the fact that it's going to accommodate used games, which is like a huge goodwill thing for uh, people who pay attention to E3, more or less, and the fact that it's priced $100 less than the Xbox One. Do you still... Are you? I feel like you wrote this sort of... The, the almost at the end of E3, but now that you've had a few days perspective, do you still feel that way? Yeah, that, uh, that was kind of an in-the-moment piece right after Sony's press conference, which was one of the most exciting press conferences uh, I've been to in uh, 10 years of going to these shows uh, for, for one reason. It was the moment where they talked about used games and they announced pretty much that, you know, the PlayStation 4 is going to be like every other system except the Xbox One and that the a retail disc means you can play that game on any system. When you take it with you, you can resell it, this and that. Uh, and they got almost 30 seconds of sustained uh, rolling applause from the audience there just for that, uh, followed by a few more applause breaks when they went into details about it. Uh, it was... Now, these press conferences, there was always some kind of applause for you know whatever announcement they make. Sometimes it's polite, sometimes it's... Uh, you know, whooping from a few corners. This was unlike anything I had ever heard and really proved how much of a hole Microsoft has dug itself into, I think, with uh, its messaging on this stuff, just by uh, keeping things the way they were and announcing that. Sony was pretty much able to uh, halt any momentum that uh, Microsoft might have been hoping to get out of the show. Now, uh, this this is just one show. This is just, uh, you know, really paid attention to by people who are, you know, really focused on this. Does this mean the Xbox One is dead in the water? Uh, does it mean that the PlayStation 4 is going to be like PlayStation 2 levels of dominance in the marketplace? I, I don't think so. It's, uh, it's a good time for them. It was a good week for Sony. But uh, it's just the first battle, even a pre-battle, in uh, what's going to be a long console war. It seems like the, the price difference is, it seems to me like a pretty big misstep on Microsoft's part. Like, I can't imagine they don't, they didn't have Intel in new, they, they must know what each other are going to be pricing their consoles. So it seems like a pretty bold move on Microsoft's part to be like, oh, we'll be fine at $100 more, even though they're targeting, it seems like with their, all of their sort of media, media focus, their content focus and their cable pass through, Thing that they're really focused on getting people who are more casual sort of hang out in the living room users. So that, that kind of confuses me. Yeah. It's hard to know if they really knew what Sony was going to price it at. And Sony says they did not know what uh, Microsoft was going to price it at. They, they decided to target $400 months ago. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think Microsoft, I think Microsoft, uh, was kind of put over a barrel in a way by uh, deciding to include the Kinect in every box. Uh, now they say that uh, this has nothing to do with the, you know, the pricing and that, uh, you know, it, it increases the value because everyone's going to have Kinect and people can develop for it and uh, we can make sure that the interface uses it and this and that. But uh, including that kind of hardware in the box 
has to add uh, anywhere from fifty to a hundred dollars to the the costs for Microsoft. Now um, they could just take a loss on that, and they, they could sell the system at four hundred dollars, and you know, pretty much take a bath. But uh, with the Connect in there, I think the hundred dollar price difference is kind of inevitable, uh, given that they're relatively the same power uh, and the same uh, general components inside. Otherwise, so they they really made a decision to. They feel like the Connect is going to bring enough premium value, enough differentiation, that uh, people will be willing to spend a hundred dollars extra at launch. Uh, that re really remains to be seen. It's it's kind of a dodgy proposition from where. Yeah, I'm I think I tend to forget about the Connect because the the it's such a weird like I I feel like the reception to that concept has been very very mixed, even primarily negative. So it's <laughs> I forget yeah. even that it's like I just want to forget that it even comes in the box. A, a lot of people bought one, like, oh, it's so cool, it's the future, and then, like, like the Wii Fit kind of went in the closet or <laughs> got turned around, like, uh, two months later after they had played Dance Central a little bit, and they're like, oh, yeah, that was kind of a cool gift. But the, the new Kinect, they're, they're really selling is, it, it has some extra features. It's, you know, uh, much more uh, higher resolution. It doesn't, uh, it can capture the whole room. You don't have to be at this, you know, really small uh, distance away from it. There's only only a few feet you can be in with the Xbox 360 Connect. Uh, it doesn't have the motor to go up and down. It it's just captures the room totally. It can work in the dark. Uh, there have been a lot of improvements, but yeah, I see what you mean that the the Connect branding has kind of gone from you know wave of the future to you know kind of curiosity that really people don't think is a must have for a new system. Yeah, and I've. Oh, okay. No, I've just, I've really got to, I've got to question even whether that, you know, that strategy of bundling a connect in with every system is, is really a viable one with so many games kind of targeted toward as many consoles or many platforms as possible, you know, like the Xbox and the PlayStation and the PC and sometimes the Wii U and sometimes not. Um, I, I wonder how many games are really going to be built from the ground up to take advantage of connect and how many are going to have, the kind of afterthought, you know, tacked on kind of features that we see in current, you know, current games with Connect support. Yeah, I think they kind of, I think they kind of feel that more than the games necessarily, it's also uh, the general system interface, being able to control that by voice and just by swiping uh, is going to be a big system seller for them. I'm not really sure that the public sees it as, as much of a value as they're trying to sell it as with the, all their, their demos. It seems like the kind of thing that they would present it to customers and developers and be like, and customers and developers would be like, so what do we do with this? And Microsoft would be like, well, what can't you do with this? And then just like, they're kind of like <laughs> trying to let everybody figure it out. But it's like, if without a concrete idea of how it's supposed to fit in, it's like, everyone's just kind of going to ignore it. I, I feel like, but anyway. Yeah. But, but being included with the system makes it, less or easier to not ignore if that makes sense even though they sold True. you know 10 million of these things True. uh on the xbox 360 on the xbox one every system is uh gonna have it which means that uh, if you're making a game targeted for the uh, xbox one if it's an exclusive or if you're trying to uh, just make it stand out on that system uh you can be sure that uh, those tilt controls or, or the motion controls or the voice controls will be usable by everyone and uh, Microsoft showed that it can actually be used for, you know, hardcore games, too. You can still have two hands on the controller, and uh, they showed, you know, putting up the controller as kind of uh, putting to put up a shield in a first-person shooter or uh, leaning to the side in order to uh, dodge an attack. Uh, I think we're really at the beginning of what uh, people and developers are going to be able to do with this. And, you know, I, Microsoft's hope, obviously, with the Xbox One is that... Uh, now that the connect is in everything that the developers are really going to be unleashed. Mm -hmm. So I feel like even though there's these two big points that kind of really decided this in Microsoft's favor, I still feel like there were some things on both sides that got swept under the rug a little bit. Some like the um, Sony had that uh, on their presentation, they had uh, something about basically indicating that you were going to have to pay to use to be able to play games as multiplayer. 
And they, I think, I believe right. during the presentation, they didn't even say anything about it. It was just kind of on the screen. Is that is that how it happened? Yeah, it was kind of buried there. I, I'd have to look over the transcript. Andrew, do you remember them actually saying that? Because I totally missed it when I was sitting there. I only found out about it when I got. No, I, I, I don't think they said anything. There, there were a few slides in there, um, especially toward the end when they were talking about like uh, used game stuff, PlayStation Plus stuff where there was a lot more data on the slides and they were actually talking about, and I think they slipped it in when they were talking about the new yeah. PlayStation Plus stuff. I think they snuck that in right after the used games and the 399 portion <laughs> where everyone was just focused on those, those two When big people things, were still but... wiping their like tears of hysteria out of their <laughs> eyes. Right. Yeah. Obviously they don't, obviously they don't want to, uh, you know, uh, put a big focus on that part, but uh, even, even, with that, it pretty much puts it on par with uh, Xbox Live, which is $60 a year to get access to things like online multiplayer. Now uh, you have to spend uh, $50 a year for PlayStation Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, with PlayStation Plus, you also get uh, a bunch of downloadable games. Uh, I think they said uh, Drive Club was going to be a free game for PlayStation Plus members uh, at the launch of the system. Um also on Xbox One, uh, it seems like you're going to need an Xbox Live subscription just to get things like uh, Netflix and um, HBO Go and MLB TV, any of those things. On on PlayStation 4, uh, you don't need PlayStation Plus if you just want those media streaming opportunities. So still some differences, but uh, yeah, it does make the value proposition a little worse uh, when comparing the two. Did they specify whether the the all of the cable pass through stuff like the the fantasy team overlays on sport on like NFL channels and stuff like that? Is that going to be a plus or not a plus? I'm sorry, uh, Xbox Live. Xbox Live, yeah. Um, they're being very coy about that stuff. They have, for instance, they keep showing NFL Red Zone, but they they won't even confirm if you need uh, NFL Red Zone on your cable subscription to mm-hmm. get that, which, you know, pretty obviously you will. It's not like, you know, HBO Go, you need HBO to right. get it. It's probably going to be the same thing, but but they won't confirm that when asked about it directly. That's so odd. Uh, so, yeah, they, I don't, I think, I don't know what their strategy is. Either they don't know, or they just uh, want to drop it at the last possible moment so that people uh, might pre-order it uh, without uh, thinking that through. Uh, it, it's a very odd um, messaging that uh, Microsoft has been doing. Very confusing, slow drip of information that's just leaving everyone with a sour taste. In their they mouth. need to take a page out of Sony's book and like find some really amazing, overwhelmingly awesome something to announce, and then just slip in the oh, by the way, you need a Red Zone subscription and an HBO <laughs> subscription in order to do all the awesome stuff. Yeah, it was kind of interesting that they announced all this uh, licensing stuff. The used game blocking potential and uh, that you know the thursday before e3 uh because that made it all that anyone could talk about throughout uh, the whole week um you know i wouldn't have been happy obviously if they had held this back or if they had not mentioned it until you know a month before the system came out um but if they had just said you know we had no comment at this time people would have been pissed off uh, especially the press but um you know sometimes no news is better than good news mm-hmm. i uh, as far as their PR strategy, I'm really not uh, sure what they're doing. So was there anything else in these presentations that sort of flew under the radar, but people only realized later in the vein of this multiplayer revelation? Um, there was something that Microsoft said later where um, their like first first party published games were not going to have any particular like uh, DRM restrictions or anything like that. Was that right, Kyle? Yeah, they... Uh mentioned that, uh, you know, while publishers can say used games, uh, used game discs can't be resold, Microsoft committed uh, in an interview I did with them that uh, they will not uh, block that personally and they will allow the discs to be gifted uh, with the restrictions that they announced. Uh, it has to be on your friend list for 30 days and can only be gifted once. Uh, but yeah, Microsoft itself will not be putting those restrictions on. I think they didn't even mention that at the press conference because... That would just invite question, more questions about, well, what are other publishers doing, you know? And it just anything that makes people think about that used game issue is something Microsoft just wants to tamp down as much as possible. <laughs> it seems point, like based on the reaction. they have so many, like, half-baked things about this console. It's like they have – there are good things to say, but the good things just point to the still half-baked parts 
and then it's like, oh, there's no point in saying anything at all. So it's like you can't, they can't say anything. And I, I, I've, I have a hard time believing that they can't, that they didn't realize this. That like they've, they've worked out some good things about this console, but it, it sort of invites follow-up questions, like you said. Yeah, I mean, like they're trying to sell the ability to uh, bring your entire library with you to a friend's house because you can log in to your account and then download your any game you want to your friend's console and play it right there with your friend, which is really a non-feature. Mm-hmm for practically everyone because you could do that with discs before you just bring the disc over and you don't have to wait you know an hour for a, a five gig download to come through the pipe so it's, it's actually a negative feature to me um what i'm thinking microsoft has to have up their sleeve or, or really should be working on is something that um all this online check-in and licensing things actually might uh, bring about like uh, some sort of netflix type thing for games or um even if not Netflix, like Gamefly, like where you can say uh, rent any game you want for the Xbox library uh, for as part of your Xbox Live subscription or for a little extra fee. And uh, every month you get to choose a new game and you have unfettered access to that game. And then the license expires at the end of the month. You can renew that game or you can get a different game. That's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, Xbox One system could theoretically make possible and publishers might be okay with it because of uh, all the restrictions they're getting uh, that could be a big differentiator, but who knows if Microsoft's working on that? Who knows if it's something they can actually do? I feel like they're really going to have to have some big uh, actual selling point for these features, and they are possible. They just we just haven't heard them yet. If they exist, that actually sounds so amazing—the rental system that you just described. Exactly. Yeah, an on an online only uh, online only rentals could make this possible. You wouldn't have to wait for the mail to disc uh, for the disc to come in. You wouldn't have to limited selection of Redbox. Uh, that's really, you know, when they talk about uh, the value of a digital future, that's the kind of thing that pops right into my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but M- Microsoft has nothing like that to really sell it yet, uh, if they ever will. Hmm. So in the same vein of flying under the radar, Nintendo, uh, as I recall, said they weren't mm-hmm. going to be at E3, but then were at E3 anyway. No, no, they, they said they weren't going to have a, a traditional okay. press conference, which kind of got misinterpreted. They were they were always going to have a okay. Um, but I can kind of understand why they didn't really want to compete directly with uh, Sony and Microsoft's uh, mega shows because you, Andrew, I don't know, uh, this was your this was your first E three, but just what based on what you saw at Sony and Microsoft, could you have imagined sitting through something like that with Nintendo and you know they don't have new hardware to announce. All they have is just you know. A new character. It's <laughs> yeah, Nintendo. They just had their first party games. Um, they they had a couple of um, smaller third party titles, but you know nothing like the the role of games that like Microsoft and Sony showed off, or even like the the games that EA and uh, Ubisoft showed off at their conferences. So it was it was all games. There weren't a lot of high profile ones. They had like no new hardware, not even like a redesigned Wii U or a redesigned 3DS or something, or a Wii Vitality sensor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never see um, that. And they they had like no price drop information or anything. They didn't have the kind of bombshell announcement, I guess, that these that these press conferences are so often kind of centered around. And so I guess their idea was, you know, if all we have is games then we're going to focus on them. We're going to give our spiel. We're going to have Miyamoto come up and, you know, talk up the next Pikmin game or whatever. And then we're going to let you turn around and play the, you know, games in our booth, which, which actually I think, you know, for Nintendo, that's, that's not a bad idea because their games are still fun to play. Even, even if they do seem to be kind of running out of ideas or recycling the same ideas over and over. But yeah, I have no idea what a big press conference from Nintendo would have looked like. I just don't I don't think they had enough substance to to you power know, one. You know, that just seems in line with everything Nintendo's been doing probably for the past 10 years really at this point. They they're doing things their way and at their own timing is kind of what I get from them. Yeah, it just seems like it's not enough anymore. They've they've lost they I feel like they've lost people's attention at this point. Yeah. A little bit. It's going to be really hard for them to uh, compete with the, the massive attention that the new systems are getting, especially because those new systems kind of uh, blow the Wii U out of the water uh, from a technical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the Wii U just barely, you know, got past the current generation, and then uh, Sony and Microsoft just leapfrogged way ahead of it. And when you when you're going to look at games on their systems versus on the Wii U, uh, you're really going to be able to tell the difference uh, whether that difference is worth $150, $250 in uh, actual price point. Uh, yeah, probably for a lot of serious gamers, it will be maybe for families. Mm-hmm. Not as much. Yeah, because so, they're trying the same kind of approach that they did with the original Wii, which is you know have mm-hmm. have this hardware that's quote unquote good enough, and rely on like a unique control scheme to carry the day. And unfortunately, I mean the Wii U has been on the market for several months at this point, and there are not really <laughs> the sales are not really are not really there. Not like they were with the original Wii in 2006, where you couldn't find it on on store shelves for months and months after launch. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they, they tried to repeat the original situation <laughs> with the, with the Wii and it just isn't, it isn't panning out for them this time around. Yeah. The problem is the Wii, the original Wii had Wii Sports, which was, uh, you know, uh, something people had never seen before and was tons of fun at parties. And the Wii U basically has, uh, it has Mario, which is okay, but not such a, the same order of system seller that Wii Sports was, uh. As the first party games come out, as the new Mario Kart and new Mario 3D Land and new Smash Brothers eventually come out, Wii U will find its niche. You know, people will buy it just for those great Nintendo games, but it's not going to be anything close to uh, what the Wii is. So, uh, or was. This raises a question to me, Kyle. In the end of the the piece I mentioned earlier, where you said uh, Microsoft knocked Sony or Sony knocked Microsoft out of E3, pardon that mm-hmm. you concluded that. This is going to sort of the fact that this initial impression is going to shift the weight of fanboys or gaming enthusiasts, not even fanboys, gaming enthusiasts, the people who are the early adopters. It's going to shift them towards buying the PS4 over the Xbox One. And you seem to think that that would have a knockoff effect onto more casual players later adopters who are going to ask these early adopters what should i buy and the early adopters are going to say ps4 but i have this sort of i i present to you the counter theories of (laughs) a a the a the wii which is like you know casual gaming console extraordinaire that sold in huge numbers despite the fact that you could probably not get a recommendation of a wii u as like a, a true like super gamer gaming console during during its tenure from anybody but they would say you know a gamer would say to a family member oh you should get a wii if you want to like get into video games and then also the case of the iphone which is like has this reputation among both iphone users and android users if a family member is like hey i want to you know get on board of the smartphone which phone should i get they say oh just get an iphone so i'm wondering if this if if these if these two cases in any way apply to the case of the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox 1 given that the Xbox 1 is is so focused on it seems it seems to want to take up the Wii mantle in a sense that it has so many media focused features that it wants to sort of take over your your entertainment center in your living room it wants to be the cable box it wants to be the, it wants to be your streaming subscription. It wants, you know, it wants to be everywhere. So it it seems like that might be an incentive for gamers to recommend this to more casual sort of users. Well, there's a there's a lot of stuff <laughs> in, in there, but I'll try I'll try and address it one by one. So, uh, comparison to the Wii, which you say was not really recommended, uh, that was not, uh, you know, really treated seriously by the hardcore uh, gamers. Um, first off, I'll say the Wii had the price advantage, mm-hmm. um, which was much less than the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 at launch, which uh, made it almost an impulse buy uh, for those months afterwards, where, uh, you know, the PS3 at $500, at $600 and the Xbox 360 at $500 needed to come down in price before they hit the mass market. Um, also, the Wii, when it debuted at E3, there were four-hour lines uh, around Nintendo's booth just to try the thing out, so... Even among that uh, audience at E3 that's really, you know, cares about games and follows these things, everyone wanted to at least try it. And the people who did try it came away, you know, impressed. You know, it was like nothing they had ever seen. It really set itself apart. Um, 
the argument for the iPhone uh, was that people are recommending the iPhone, so therefore the iPhone is is not doing well. Is, no, the iPhone the iPhone is is sort of the default recommendation from from people right. regardless sort of of whether they're Android or iPhone users because it's considered like the the more um it's it's considered friendlier to people who don't know or I haven't see. used iPhones before. Yeah, I think we have to be kind of careful about making that uh making that Android generalization. I, I Well, no, I'm, I'm sure not there saying people, I'm not there are people I, shouting at their at their iPhones right now. I well, would I would no yeah. sooner stand here than suggest <laughs> that Android users are in in droves recommending iPhones to everybody that I would like <laughs> cut off my own arm. But <laughs> they it's it is it well, is there have been articles about this that the, that the iPhone tends to be the default recommendation for people who are less savvy about these things. Yeah, so in that analogy, I think the PS4 would be the iPhone. It's kind of going to become the default uh, recommendation because it's one hundred dollars less, and uh, two, uh, it doesn't require the online checks and restrict potential restrictions on used games that uh, the casual people might not be aware of. So, right, but will know, the casual if, people uh, care about that? I, they'll definitely care about the hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's and if they're asking their gaming friend a recommendation they'll say oh you don't play games too much you probably the hundred dollars is probably very important to Mm -hmm. you and um as for the online stuff um i think it's being a little overblown uh for most people you know 70 percent of american households now have reliable broadband connection that's only going to go up uh so for most people that's probably not a practical issue but uh among the uh people who are really paying attention who this really matters to as kind of a principle they're the early adopters, and they're the ones who uh, the casuals are going to ask for a general recommendation. Uh, the people who are really paying attention, if they have a negative impression of the Xbox One because of that, may lead them also to uh, recommend the PS4 a little more. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to ask you, Kyle, about what we define as casual, because it would seem to me that the mobile side, Android and iOS, they've really edged out that that space that... Nintendo used to have maybe that and that's why we're seeing them kind of recede a little bit because casual now is anybody who has a phone or a tablet and you can say yeah just play these games but it seems to me something that's in the living room as an actual console seems like a bit more of an investment not just the dollars but kind of what do I need to do with it I mean is what what role is mobile playing in all of this it's true now that everyone kind of has a smartphone or most everyone has a smartphone in their pocket or has a tablet uh, now they don't really need to invest hundreds of dollars in a specialized device that uh, plays games. You saw this earlier with uh, the 3DS when it launched at $250 and totally failed to uh, get an audience. Only when it dropped to uh, $160 did it start finally picking up momentum. Uh, The Wii U has also struggled a little bit, uh, somewhat because of software, but some people are worried that it's also because, uh, hey, you know, people can get the, or, you know, the mass of people who don't really... uh, care about having the very best experience can just get a casual gaming fix now right on their phones um we're gonna have to see if that trend continues with uh, the ps4 and the xbox one uh these are decidedly different than than the 3ds uh, or the vita or the uh wii u in that they're you know serious gaming systems they're the top of the line at the moment uh, console experiences with uh, you know the kind of serious games that people buy consoles for but we may be in a new age where, uh, you know, pay, charging $400, $500 for a system doesn't quite get you as many sales as it used to, regardless of how great the experience is, just because uh, large, massive gamers say, oh, uh, the games on my phone are good enough. The games on my uh, iPad are good enough. Plus, uh, you know, I don't have so much time these days. I got to pick up the kids. I got to get uh, the groceries. I'm totally generalizing about someone who probably doesn't exist right now, but... <laughs> That that is um, that is a concern among some uh, market watchers. So, I I just want to touch on this, and I don't really have a sense of how I haven't done extensive reading, so I don't really have a sense of how uh, possible or true this could be. But I've seen some articles on the possibility of a sort of lesser, like an Xbox an Xbox One arcade, if you will, like a cheaper, uh, pared down version of the Xbox One. Is that like is that credible in any way? Um, 
it, it could happen. There's uh, there were also rumors about an Xbox 360 that you know came un- down under the hundred dollar price point, which really can uh, skyrocket sales late in the system's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would just be mainly focused on you know being a Netflix box uh, playing uh, games uh, if you get a if you get a hard drive on top of it. Uh, this and that. Some people were even saying it would hook up to the Xbox One and use some sort of dual processing power uh, sharing to allow for backwards compatibility. Because, but you already have an Xbox 360. I didn't really understand that argument. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it it could happen. I don't think it's uh, something Microsoft is really focused on. Um, if they were, we would have heard about it. What um, I'm more interested in, uh, rumor-wise, is the fact the uh, possibility of a subsidized model for the Xbox One, hmm. where they partner with a, a cable company or a uh, satellite provider, since they're uh, selling the whole idea of uh, the pass-through, the Xbox One, uh, so you can control your TV with the Kinect and uh, use uh, the integrated guide and uh, things like that to enhance your TV experience. What if they go to a DirecTV uh, and say, okay, DirecTV, um, you, know, you add $20 a month onto uh, your basic fee and uh, for a two-year agreement. And in exchange, we will give people the Xbox One for $200 rather than $500. So you're saving $300 at the time of uh, buying it, but you're paying extra $10, $20 a month for the next uh, couple of years. Uh, it's the same type of thing that you see in the cell phone market. Uh, they already experimented with this a little bit on the Xbox 360, where they charge a little more for Xbox Live and gave you an Xbox 360 uh, at a Microsoft store for uh, much less than usual. Uh, I've heard mixed things about that, how well it's doing. I I think you really need to tie it in with something like a TV provider or something that really seems to give you extra value to uh, make that work. And uh, Microsoft's not commenting on it, but I think it would be a pretty natural move for them. Huh, I hadn't heard that, actually. It's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's going around the rumor mill. Nothing, Nothing entirely credible about it but it's enough chatter to make you think there might be something i feel like that would be like a huge service commitment on the part of uh service providers who already seem to struggle with keeping all of their like cable and set-top boxes working like i feel like i i feel like people i know are always like that's like a day-long process like oh i have to you know my set-top box or you know modem stopped working i have to go (laughs) exchange it and you always exchange them and then the ones you get don't work well, the Xbox One isn't actually um, going to replace any uh, cable boxes and such. All it has is a, a pass-through, so you plug in an HDMI input from the cable box into the system, right. and that allows it. And that allows the Kinect controls, the Snap thing is on the side, so you can have a Skype conversation while you're watching Star Trek because everybody wants to do that. I guess right. so I don't <laughs> really understand. I feel um, like I feel like just in so, terms yeah, of maintaining yeah. a fleet of hardware, cable providers have proven to be not the best at it. That's true. Well, Microsoft would, in this situation, Microsoft would just provide the hardware and they would just be partnering up uh, as, a business, as a purely business relationship to get more Xbox Ones into people's homes hmm. as through, uh, you know, uh, the cable provider, that, which would go to everyone and say, uh, look at our new super deluxe package, which has a, an Xbox One for cheap. Hey, it's a cross-marketing at its uh, worst, best, I don't know. Both. Both. So... Okay. This sort of is in the vein of casual versus serious gamer, but the I feel like there is a lot of time spent uh, at E3 on A, sports games, B, racing games, neither of which I am ever personally excited to see because I feel like they're, I mean, this is like, this is a thing that probably would enrage people who play these games, but I feel like they're always basically the same every year. So it's like, I I feel like there's not a lot of need to spend as much time as on them as is spent on them, especially at a conference where it's, it's supposed to be catered. I feel like those are casual games and this is supposed to be catering to enthusiasts. So um, if either of you have theories on that, I would love to hear them. Two two really quick things, because I think this is actually a relatively easy one, especially in a year with new consoles, is one, they do sell a lot every year, which is why they keep making them every year. And two, 
sports and racing games is they're especially good showcases for like new physics engines, um, new new graphics engines, uh, new gaming hardware. Um, if you, yeah, I mean that that's that would be be basically my argument is just that it's it's really easy to say look at a sports game on the Xbox 360 and look how much more realistic like the textures look that the people look that the physics look in this new you know the new version on this new console with this new hardware. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll expand on what Andrew said there, especially with the, the racing games. I was playing um, the new Need for Speed game, which was running on um, next generation hardware or uh, a dev kit uh, spec to the Xbox One and PlayStation 4. And um, just looking at the, the rear windshield had this kind of dewdrop effect where it was raining and you know how water kind of beads on, on the back windshield? And the way the light went through that windshield, so you could actually see the raindrops and also kind of through it translucently to see the driver in there. And as the, as the light shifted, you could, you know, you would see it and then not because realistically, I'm, I'm not describing it well, but if you <laughs> see it on video, if you see it on video, it's the kind of thing that does, you know, nothing for gameplay. It's the same old racing game, but just seeing that level of realistic water beating effects on the back of the car i was like okay this is what next generation graphics can do this is this is now a console experience so this is this ties into another question i have as somebody who has not seen any gameplay in person and you sort of answered it with that but do you have having experienced the games for yourselves to some extent at this point do you i i feel like i've heard the general the general consensus is that uh, is a mixed response on this as well but do you feel the games look that much better on these two consoles that people are going to rush in droves to buy them or do they feel that much better like is there is there that big of a difference between a 360 or a ps3 versus a xbox one and ps4 so graphically i will say definitely okay you if you're used to console gaming um you will definitely see a, a large difference of playing a game like uh, destiny especially with the, the way the the weed just ripples in the wind or the way that uh, water ripples as you're walking through it, or just the, the level of detail you can have on the textures and the number of polygons in there. Uh, that's easily noticeable. If you're playing on a high-end PC, it uh, is a little less noticeable. Some of the recent uh, games like um, uh, Dishonored or uh, Bioshock Infinite just look amazing with all the graphics turned up. So that's a smaller jump. But if you're used to consoles that are uh, now seven eight years mm -hmm. old yes definitely that will be a jump uh gameplay wise i haven't seen anything so far that really made me say oh this is gameplay that uh, you know you couldn't do before because of x y or z on the new console uh, they're trying to sell the idea of you know cloud-based uh, computing or um, other things uh, with uh, the connect controls things that uh, you couldn't do before nothing is really wowed me in that sense but that usually doesn't happen when a console launches usually uh the first few months or even a year of a game console are just prettier versions of the standard stuff that came before and then after 12 months or so after developers have gotten their feet wet then they say okay what can we really do with this how can we create new gameplay experiences and then the you know the second wave of games comes out and that's when you really start to see uh, the potential of the consoles from a gameplay point of view. So I think we have to wait a little bit on that. So Andrew, Andrew, do you have any? No, you, you, no, you hit everything. Good. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I was actually, I was extremely. This, I, I found it. I was just in awe of. I believe it was the Battlefield Four demo when they had the, uh, they had like a skyscraper collapse. It was just like. Yeah, it just like blew my mind the the amount of like just the amount of the sheer amount of math that must go into that is just like absolutely insane to me. But yeah, that looked pretty it, cool. I I thought it was like yeah, I think like my jaw dropped. That was like the only moment I think that was like so that was that impressive to me. So I think. I want to hear more about which games you guys are excited about. Which I I don't know I don't know myself what you got a chance to actually play if anything was there were there a lot of playable demos 
There are quite a few playable oh, yeah. demos. Um, I think a lot of them were kind of gradually evolved versions of experiences that exist already. What I really want to talk about just a little bit is the Oculus Rift, which having having sat in a demo room with it twice now, I really think that this is like the next the next frontier, I guess, in, in gaming. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, especially um, the HD version we saw, which is uh, what you're getting at. The I've played around with the Rift a bit, and uh, you know it's it's neat as a dem- demonstration of what can be done. The the head tracking is pretty good. The sense of 3D you have is impressive, but the, the real limiting factor right now is uh, the number of pixels they can pack into that display that's right in front of your face. You can actually see the black outlines of the pixels as a, at that distance. You can see it as a relatively big size. Uh, and it's it's kind of distracting. It's it's kind of makes everything muddy. Um, at E3, what we saw was the HD version of the Oculus Rift, which upgrades the panel to uh, 1920 by 1080 resolution, uh, more than four times the pixels, and that finally gets it to a level where um, you know you're not going to be fooled like oh this is reality, but it's it's to a point where you could see playing it for more than just uh, 10 minutes and saying oh that's neat. This is uh, where it should be for a consumer version, and uh, I'm really excited to see what what they do with that uh, going forward. How big is the screen on this thing? Four inches, five inches? Uh, the original one was a seven inch screen. Okay. I think the 1920 by 1080 one is actually a little smaller. Oh, than interesting. That. Uh, but it gives you it gives you a big it gives you a pretty big uh, field of view in front of you, and you know even with uh, the increased resolution, the new one is actually lighter. Oh. Than the development kits they sent out. They got rid of uh, 50 grams from the Did you both try it? They are really obsessed. Mm -hmm. Andrew? Yeah, Andrew, what do you think of the HD one? Um, I, yeah, it's, it's, here's, here's the deal with like the Oculus Rift from a hardware perspective is um, I, I went to uh, like a little presentation by an Oculus person at NVIDIA's uh, GPU technology conference back in February or March. I don't even remember anymore. But um, what he said was that it, if it goes into a smartphone, like it can go into, it goes into the Oculus Rift basically. So the, the screen on the new HD Oculus Rift is um, basically of the same, you know, it's cut from the same cloth as all these like five inch 1080p Android phones that we're seeing. And, um, it really like when I'm holding a phone in my hand, I can't usually. I mean, I can tell the difference between a 720p and 1080p display, but not to the degree that I really care what you know whether I have one or the other. When you put that display into the Oculus, which you know it has the screen just a few inches from your eyes, you're kind of looking at it through a sort of magnifying glass anyway. It really like makes me excited about you know, unnecessary advances in pixel density technology. (laughs) Like it it was just, it was, it was really, it was a really crisp picture. I mean, you have a really good, it's, it's, and it's kind of hard to describe, you know, the experience of actually walking around and looking at stuff, but the demo they were showing off, you know, you go up to this, this big suit of armor and he's just like towering over you and you have this real cool, like sense of scale. And um, it makes you, I mean, it just makes you feel like you're there. And yeah, so I guess that's that's all a roundabout way of saying that the difference between the old Oculus and the new HD version is like the difference between a cool tech demo and when can I give you my money? <laughs> oh wow! I, I'd say it's like the difference. I'd say it's like the difference between standard definition TV and HD TV. Hmm. Yeah, really. definitely. That's uh, the sure. first per yeah, the I mean, name. The first time you saw HD TV, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I suppose that's a little As on the, the name. <laughs> Um, here's a criticism or, uh, a comment about the Oculus Rift that I saw on Twitter, I believe from, uh, Joel Johnson, that people wish they could see their hands. Is this a thing that either of you have felt that you could, like, they wish you could look down and see your hands and maybe, like, use them in the game? Sure. Is that a thing? Sure, yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, the the 3D is so realistic that it's things that you want to reach out and touch or interact with, and, um... I've talked to the Oculus people about this, and they are, they they're pretty much stock responses. Look, we're we're handling the display. We want to make it uh, that as realistic as possible, and we're allowing for uh, open experimentation on the control front. So once this is into people's hands, then people 
can uh, try out what they want. They can try that uh, razor thing, I forget what it's called, where it's it's like a magnetic uh, response thing so that it can track your hand in 3D. They can try something like uh, the PlayStation Move or the new Kinect, which will hook up to PCs, and uh, try those things out as far as uh, making the motion curls. But uh, we want to stay focused on uh, having uh, the best display possible and uh, really getting your, your sight uh, uh, into it rather than the sense of touch. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure how far this goes because the whole point of the Oculus Rift is that it standardizes everything. It gives you one thing to aim for as far as the visuals. And if they went forward and actually added a control scheme as well, I think they could have uh, great success. It's kind of the next step uh, with it. So um, I'm willing to give them at least until, you know, a consumer-ready version of this is out to really give them uh, pressure to, you know, make uh, work on the control side as well as they've worked on the visual side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Microsoft has released a, um, a PC version, I guess, of the original Kinect for developers to screw around with. And I would like yep. the the new Connect, the stuff that it adds because it has like a higher resolution camera, and the um, the software and stuff is a little bit refined. Is like they can track individual fingers, and they can just track a whole bunch of depth and stuff that they couldn't before. I would really love to see what someone could do if they combined like the visual stuff that the Rift is doing with the body tracking stuff that the new Connect is doing. Like I think that would be a really kind of ideal control scheme because the the way the demos work now is they put the headset on your face and then a controller in your hand and um, right. you use the left, you know, control stick to move around. And my impulse, I guess, because of like years of, of training have just burned this into my brain is I kept trying to use my right, you know, the right stick to, to look around, even though, you know, I knew I was supposed to use my face. So I would, yeah, I would like to see them break away from a controller just, just to make it feel a little more natural, you know? Any motion sickness yeah. on this? The first time I used it, I was in there for about 10 minutes and I was mad motion sick for like half an hour after I didn't, I didn't throw up, but I, I think I could have gotten there. Oh, Whoa. I tell you, I think it's improved. Uh, I don't know if it's an improvement because I'm getting more used to it or it's an improvement because every time. I've tried the Rift at one of these demos. They've improved the response time of the pixels. They've uh, improved the uh, resolution in this last one. But I get less and less uh, queasy after uh, every time. I also find that if there's if it's a game where I have like a frame around me, like if I'm in a race car or in a, a mech, something that can route me to the world even when I'm moving my head around, that uh, really limits it. Uh, or if I'm in outer space where I'm not as confined, it. It really depends. So I feel like we can't be that far from a game or a, an arcade, if you will, where you go into a room, there's a connect embedded in every wall. You are fitted with an <laughs> Oculus Rift headset. And then it's like the game starts and it's like, you know, I mean, it's just a room, but, you know, you're, you know, you're somebody like, you know, spiders dropping from the ceiling, head crabs flying at you and you have to fight them with, but you have to fight them bodily with a pretend crowbar in your arm this could happen <laughs> i have a business idea you guys the only... <laughs> so the only problem with that right now is that um the rift does have to be hooked up to a pretty powerful pc to run hmm. uh those high definition uh 3d True, games I forgot about that. but uh, you know what's a what's a high what's a high powered pc today uh 10 years is going to be in your phone so True. once that happens yeah five ten years i could see that idea definitely uh you know it, it sounds like something out of an 80s movie, but it, it could be yeah. actually the present <laughs> before we know it. I think my biggest this. my biggest fear is when uh, when the technology breaks and the spiders become real and uh, then oh, and you have to no. deal with them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Terminator 4. Yeah, the problem's, the problem's <laughs> going to be when we're all wearing Oculus Rifts all the time and they're called Google Glasses and somebody invents a virus uh, where it's just uh -oh. like that's all you – it's like a constant hallucination. <laughs> I don't think yeah. people are ready for that. I'm waiting for the Oculus Rift. I know people aren't ready for, I'm for the Oculus Rift. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Oculus Rift with a camera on top of it. So instead of having, you know, the translucent screen like Google Glass, uh, they will just show you a live camera feed of what's behind your trans trans uh, yeah, the opaque goggles. Mm. So that will be how they do augmented reality. But you are you are seeing a live video of what's right in front of you. <laughs> 
Oh, you're getting really philosophical there now. <laughs> That's a whole other episode. <laughs> well, well, you guys, we're going to wrap up. Uh, we're at the, at the end of the show, but uh, I want to thank Andrew and Kyle and, of course, Casey for joining us. And you can find us, as usual, on ArsTechnica.com. We post a show notes, so you can leave us a message there and tell us your thoughts about E3. We're also on SoundCloud and Stitcher. So even if you don't subscribe through iTunes, you can uh, find us there. And, of course, leave us a rating or a review on iTunes because that helps us a ton. So I want to thank you guys again, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.